Hello, friends. I am excited to tell you this. The Scumbag Diaries officially has merch that you can purchase courtesy of my man, Hopes, out of Florida. That's his music name. Look him up, too. He's a great friend of mine. I've known him since we were kids. But this motherfucker has launched a closing line called Ill Mindset. All right? It's badass. He has some of the most fresh, amazing designs anyone has seen. He's about to be blowing every other fucking clothing line out of the game. And he happened to take the time out of his life and and, and the energy of his life and his talents to make a t-shirt for the Scumbag Diaries. So, in the link of this episode and every episode from now on, I'm going to have a hyperlink to his store and to get the Scumbag Diaries t-shirt. But don't stop when you throw that Scumbag Diaries t-shirt in the motherfucking cart. I want you guys to scroll through all of the other wares he has to offer and look at the dope designs on all of that and spend more money because this man has been supporting the show since day one. Thanks, guys. And remember, everyone love everyone and it's just a ride. Hello, scumbags and scumbagettes. Welcome back to the Scumbag Diaries. I'm your host, Christopher Maggard, and it has been a while since I've sat down behind the microphone and spoken to you guys, and I apologize for that. I've been in a, a little bit of a, a creative slump, I guess, though it doesn't take much creativity to talk and express thoughts as they fly through your fucking noggin at breakneck speeds, but, you know, I've just been feeling feeling a little strange, and the baby's been feeling sick and stuff like that, but I'm here. I'm here, and I'm ready to, to get down to discuss some things. I actually have a uh, WandaVision episode that I've been working on over the past couple of weeks. I would, like, start and stop and then decide to edit it and talk about something else, and that's going to be released. There's going to be a WandaVision Part 1 episode and a WandaVision Part 2, but while I'm still editing those two things, I just thought I'd drop some new uh, some new content for y'all in the form of this episode of the Scumbag Diaries. We're going to start things off today a little differently, and that is with a question that was sent to us from a listener. You can go to the anchor page for the podcast and leave a question, comment, concern. You can tell me to go fuck myself. You can leave whatever sort of message you want there, and I'll, uh, I'll play it on the show. I'll respond to any questions and stuff, and we're, this is going to be the first one. So I'm going to go ahead and play that, and then we'll hop in and see if we can answer the uh, the question proposed to us. So I believe that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. He's the God-man. I believe that he's not only the Son of God, but that he is actually God in the flesh. He himself is actually God, a part of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is your opinion on Jesus? Who do you view Jesus Christ as? That is definitely a very good question and one that I will try to answer to the best of my ability. If you had asked me who I believed Jesus was when I was like 16 to 19, I guess I would say that I didn't think he existed and there was a lack of historical evidence. But as I've actually started to study other religions and philosophies and ways of life and stuff, I've realized that the the historical evidence isn't isn't so much tangible as it is like when missionaries would go to monks and uh, yogis and try to teach them about Jesus. The monks and the yogis already knew who he was. And all these peoples and other cultures and religions had a story of Jesus sort of coming through and learning their way of life and thinking and stuff. And this would have coincided with the... Uh, the missing years between 13 and 30 in the Bible, which I'm not sure, you know, the validity of any of that. I just take that into consideration. Um, so I do think that historically there's evidence that he existed, and I do think he was real. And I don't even necessarily disagree with you that he is the God-man, as you said. Um, I think that predating Christianity, because Jesus certainly wasn't the first Christian, um, I believe that, you know, the, the precursor to Christianity was Gnosticism, and uh, I believe that Jesus was a great Gnostic teacher, and I've said before that he was a magician, and I don't necessarily mean that he, like, spent all of his time fucking conjuring and summoning goetic demons and stuff like that, which that, there's some stuff in the Bible that 
would uh, would would lead towards that sort of thinking as well. But what he did do is travel around preaching, and uh, preaching is a shitty word to use. I probably shouldn't use that, but uh, uh, teaching rather his uh, his gospel, which was really just trying to say the things he had learned from these other cultures in a way that the people around him could internalize it. And, you know, he said things like, God is within me and each and every one of you, and the kingdom of heaven is within us and stuff. And I think that stems from the Gnostic teachings and Gnosis. And the Gnostic teachings say that God, the the Godhead that I talk about in all the episodes of the podcast was chilling and existing, and then he broke himself down, him or herself, God's self, down into a bunch of entities called the Aeons, and one of these Aeons, named Sophia, which is associated with wisdom, fell from the uh, realm that all of the Aeons existed in, and when she did that, it created the Demiurgus, or the Demiurge which would, in the Gnostic teachings, be the god of the Old Testament. And, you know, the, like, wrathful, vengeful, bipolar murder god of the Old Testament. And the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament really is Gnosticism and the Gnostic teachings. But I do think, I think Jesus was a man, and I think that he was a god-man in the sense that he knew of the godhead. He knew of the overarching spiritual divine presence above all of existence in which it all sort of sprang from. He understood that we were trapped in a prison system, but that we, as we were created by the Demiurge and thrown into this uh, prison of the flesh and of material existence that we were given a piece of divine spark from the overall godhead right that's that's what i think he was teaching because if you look at the teachings of jesus versus the way that the church acts not just like the catholic church but every sect of christianity there is they almost seem diametrically opposed to one another and i think that's because like with, once again, the Gnostic idea of inversion, the Christian church took a bunch of the ideas and teachings of Jesus and skewed them to mean something different. And in the system of Christianity, there's like one dude whose job it is to interpret these works and tell you what they mean. And it doesn't necessarily, like most Christians wouldn't actually take the time to study these things and break these things down and a lot of the times when they do they just take the interpretations that they were told to take um, which is not necessarily a bad thing I'm not saying there's bad in religion or theology or anything like that and I definitely don't think Jesus was a bad influence whatsoever I just think that a lot of the things he taught were taken out of context and that is a damn shame. And of course, there's also the correlation between Jesus and the sun and how multiple fucking deities represented on the sun orb of the tree of life have the same stories and stuff. And I'm not saying that any of those people or deities did not exist. I think that it, that in my crazy fucked up head canon of the universe, I think that all of those little like solar deities were actually pieces of the divine overarching godhead incarnating into this energetic prison system and trying to teach us those things so like Horus and and like every solar deity that I'd, I'd spoke about before like even fucking uh, how Prometheus stole fire from the gods I think that all of these beings throughout all of religion and, and theology were pieces of the overarching godhead incarnating on earth to teach us that we are just as much a part of the godhead as everything else i really do think that and then you can even go further into the gnostic teachings um and about how like 
the church seems to be completely opposed to like gaining knowledge or gnosis staying with the gnostic theme of this episode and they they invert things like how in the the garden of eden the snake came and got adam and eve to eat from the the tree of knowledge and then they were humiliated and cast out of the garden of eden and a lot of people see that as you know the the devil um tempting eve and damning humanity to a life of of um, mortality outside of the garden of eden and that is definitely a way to interpret it but also it's sort of fucked up that they weren't allowed to know anything that knowledge was kept from them and that's a uh, that doesn't sound very polite or kind and also in the the sect of gnosticism this god that we're speaking about in in the uh the old testament would have been the demiurge who's not necessarily a good guy this isn't the godhead that i'm talking about that i think is associated with jesus and all the other solar deities but um this sort of brings to mind uh you know the fact that in the bible jesus is referred to as lucifer or the morning star and uh into mind the various translations and stuff but in the original translation of the bible jesus was referred to as the morning star and so is lucifer it's basically the same thing which has probably made some people very angry and i'm not trying to say that jesus and the devil are the same thing i'm just saying that taking the biblical scriptures when they were known to be edited possibly mistranslated um manipulated they were formed in the order that they were and certain things were omitted from them to fit a certain agenda by the people in power and i think that that agenda is still being served to this day with religion and the entire point of this episode is going to be about how science religion and mysticism magic all came from the same seed one seed got planted three trees grew that was magic science and religion and we're going to talk about how that came to be and why the three things need to sort of be melded back together to find out how the world actually works but before we get into that i'm going to uh play a song by an artist named hopes out of florida who is about to be fucking the game up and killing it and then we're gonna we're gonna get into the episode and the more heavy topics but before that i want to give you guys a nice little ear massage and uh and have you be seduced by the voice of hopes and here is his song haunted
Once again, that was Hopes out of Florida with the song Haunted. I'm going to drop all of the links to his streaming and social media platforms in the description of this episode. Please go and support him. Not only is he one of my greatest friends of all time, who I've known for most of my life, but he is a avid supporter of the show. And he's uh he's 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 fucking he's 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 tried to lift me lift me up out of my slump while I'm down and I appreciate that. Go support this motherfucker and thank him for the quivering in your ear genitals that you just experienced and uh, and listen to more of his stuff, man. He's an omni talented person who is bringing the exact type of energy that the world needs in 2021 after the disaster of a year we had to deal with. Go support him and fucking and just 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 go fucking support the shit out of him. Do it. It's a fucking order from me. Yeah. Thank you very much, Hopes, for uh, for that song and allowing me to play it on the show. I appreciate it a great deal. I'm now going to uh, to ride the energetic emotion stir wave that listening to that threw me into through the rest of this fucking episode, my man. Thank you very much. We're going to get right into it. We're going to talk about the one seed that planted three trees today, ladies and gentlemen. And, and basically what that is, is we're going to talk about how science, religion, and magic all sprang from one seed. And that seed was simply trying to figure out how the world works. And we can trace this back thousands and thousands of years, all the way to the ancient civilizations of Atlantis and Lemuria. However, we're not going to talk about Atlantis and Lemuria a lot today, because a lot of people don't think that they fucking exist. Even though Plato totally said they did. Um, but, you know, what did Plato know? We just use his teachings for most of modern philosophy and the way we view the world. But we'll get into that, man. We'll get into the uh, the lineage of truth seekers throughout the aeons that have uh, steered us toward the direction we've gone as a society. We're going to talk about the uh, when the seed fucking sprouted three trees and how they grew away from one another despite the fact that they came from the same source. And we're just going to sort of rap and talk a little bullshit today, man. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's going to be in this episode is just opinion based on some things that happened in history, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt or a fucking spoonful of sugar, whatever helps it go down a little bit better. But I hope you enjoy, man. I'm here to entertain and to hopefully uh, spark some some sort of thought about uh, the paradigm that we live in currently and how things are changing moving forward, how they've changed from the way things used to be and just how you know really really reality is is uh consensus based right so if the majority of people who exist believe reality to be one way that is the way it is and anyone who who thinks about it differently is fucking insane and should be burned at the stake or whatever but we're going to challenge some of the traditional ideas of how the world was built and uh and where where we're headed versus where we came from today so let's just jump right the fuck into it. We've all heard the name Isaac Newton. We know the story about how an apple fell on his melon and he realized that gravity existed. But what people don't talk about is that Isaac Newton was afraid to put forth his theory of gravity because he thought people would see it as some kind of magic. An invisible force causing action at a distance? Who the fuck would believe such a crazy thing? But the fact is that even modern-day science is constantly brushing up against ideas bordering on magic and religion. Parallel universes, black holes, extra-dimensional beings being disclosed by the government. That all makes perfect sense when we think about how science, magic, and religion all originated from the same starting point. A single question. How does this all work? As we've discussed on this podcast before, the word occult means secret or hidden. The early masters of the occult are regarded as true magicians, but they were also the first scientists. Let me explain that a little bit because it might sound blasphemous to some of you. The discoveries in the occult arts of astrology and alchemy gave birth to modern scientific disciplines. In ancient times, there was no science, at least not in the way we define it today. What we did have were alchemists, magicians, and proto-mathematicians. They were doing science, but also literature, philosophy, cosmology, and religion. There wasn't really a division of these things. They all just sort of fell under that one same universal question. How does all this work? 
Many people still view the occult with suspicion, despite the fact that science is often teetering on the edge of the supernatural. Physicists trying to unravel the same mysteries that plagued the mind of the first magicians. Yet these discussions are still firmly rooted in the realm of science. For the sake of this discussion, let's say the metaphorical seed we are talking about was planted in ancient Egypt 5,000 years ago. Before pharaohs, hieroglyphs or pictographs were invented. The people used them to document their history, religion, and practice complex systems of astronomy, astrology, and geometry. They believed the powerful advanced knowledge they possessed came from the god Toth, the Egyptian god of magic, writing, astronomy, mathematics, and science. He even invented language. Only certain priests were allowed access to the knowledge of Toth. Hotep, the builder of the first pyramid, was one of these select few with access. It is said that Toth not only gifted us with writing and mathematics, but also gave us the ability to self-cultivate our consciousness. It's argued whether or not Toth was a person who was then deified, or whether he has been a deity since the beginning. However, the Book of Toth, which contained all knowledge of the universe, is said to exist in the astral plane. The Book of Toth is the exact same thing as the Akashic Records, which we have briefly discussed before. To download information from the Book of Toth is the first recorded instance of modern-day channeling. All measurements, all words, all concepts are held within the Book of Toth. Archaeologists have discovered much of the knowledge the Egyptians credited to Toth actually came from the Babylonians as early as 4000 BC. The Babylonians were the first to notice and chart planetary movements. They invented the abacus, which is basically the first version of the calculator. They invented the first sequential numeric system and the earliest forms of both astronomy and astrology. However, even the Babylonians believed this knowledge to be divine. The earliest temples in history doubled as observatories. Planetary movements and the movements of the stars were thought to be the footprints of the gods, chronicling their lives and the history of the universe. All of this culminated in Egypt into a complex system of ritual and ceremony. Ceremonial magic is then born. It's the reason every Freemasonic Bible contains a section in the back about ancient Egypt. Hermetic magic, ceremony, and much of Western occultism can be traced back to this moment. However, in 1212 BC, Ramses II, the last great Egyptian pharaoh, died. Invading armies conquered the Egypt, and Egypt's occult secrets were lost. But not for long. So to package this section of our conversation nice and neatly into a concept <clears throat> or a, a metaphor, we could say that the Babylonian age is when the seed of this, the, the topic we're talking about, was germinated. The Egyptian times when the seed was planted, and then after the death of Ramses II, we can think of the invading armies as the soil that piled in over the germinating seed. <clears throat> and while you couldn't see the seed growing beneath the soil, it most certainly was creeping its way back toward the surface. Before we get into the next uh, chapter of our story of, of the three trees growing from one seed, I'd like to tell a story from my life because it's the reason that I decided to make this episode today. See, when I wake up in the morning from the time that I wake up to go to sleep, there are essentially video reels playing in the back of my mind of moments and time from my life of varying importance and time and place and stuff like that. But for some reason the other day, I uh, was brought back to a moment where I had moved from Florida to Tennessee and I was transferring to my second high school in Tennessee in my junior year. And that was in Jellico, Tennessee. Which I've referred to before as like a mecca of scumbaggery because that place fucking sucks. But the beginning of my next year, I, I started geometry. It was a class that I took. And I, I came in to my first day of geometry. And I got to the class and I looked up and there was a large man at the door 
who looked as though a mad scientist had created a machine that could like physically personify cartoon animal caricatures into the real world and someone fed a cartoon owl through this machine and printed out the geometry and the German teacher for Jellicoe High School, Mr. Smith. <coughs> Mr. Smith was standing in his doorway in a full-blown fucking toga. And that piqued my interest because it wasn't something that I expected, especially in this part of the country where, like, smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. It was a weird experience, but I was all in for it. When class started, he introduced himself and said that he was dressed as Pythagoras, the modern-day father of geometry. Um, and if you once I said Pythagoras, you probably said in the back of your mind somewhere a squared plus b squared equals c squared because he founded the uh, or he gave us the Pythagorean theorem. So he was dressed as Pythagoras, and he was in front of the class, he said who Pythagoras was, the myth of him, it could have been one man, many men, maybe it wasn't any man at all, and then he relayed to us Plato's allegory of the cave, which in short, I might butcher it, but is about, it's a, it's a, a tale where these three dudes are in a cave, and they're chained up, or they can't escape the lair in the cave that they are, and above them, on a lair, is a fire, and there's other people and they're doing little shadow puppets on the fucking wall and the only thing that these people who've been bound in this cave have ever been able to see is the wall they can't look at each other they can't look around at anything else all they can look at is these projections on the wall so from the perspective of those people trapped in the cave that is the world that is life well in the thought experiment one man escapes and climbs up and sees that it is actually an illusion and that there is much more to life than just the shadows on the cave wall and he expands his consciousness. I didn't realize at the time, but the allegory of the cave is a perfect example of gaining gnosis. Now, I heard this story and at the time, with my limited life experience, I only applied it to the file in my brain that's where Pythagoras and the allegory of the cave landed. Granted, I, I sort of got the overall meaning of the allegory of the cave and internalized that, but for the most part, that experience was filed away into a particular folder in the filing cabinet of my mind. The other day when this memory came to the surface again and I sort of relived the experience, I thought about how interesting it was that Pythagoras gets so much credit for being the father of geometry and the Pythagorean theorem and Plato gets so much credit for the allegory of the cave however all the other stuff Pythagoras did in his lifetime with this mystery schools I'm about to talk about no one really gives a shit about that or it like explains like throws it away as malarkey right and when it comes to plato the allegory of the cave is brilliant but when he talks about atlantis that has no merit and I, I just think it's funny how we pick and choose the the truths of the universe and whatnot as opposed to trying to find the threads throughout it which is the mission statement of the scumbag diaries apparently which isn't what the show was supposed to be but it just sort of turned into this but anyway let's get back into our story of the one seed that fucking planted three trees 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 and we'll, uh, let's let's get back back rolling with the tale, shall we? Flash forward to the sixth century BC in Greece, the world's new dominant culture. Enter Pythagoras. Our alphabet, the buildings around us, the music we listen to owes a debt to this brilliant mind. In his ever-growing search for wisdom, Pythagoras traveled the world looking high and low for occult knowledge. He found it in the hidden mystery schools scattered throughout the globe. He synthesized the elements of these teachings into a brand new discipline, philosophy. His foundation? Numbers. He believed mathematics, philosophy, and the understanding of the divine all went together. He condensed and boiled down the collective hidden knowledge of the world for practical applications. He identified numbers as the most fundamental element of creation. <clears throat> as noted by even today's scientists, we are surrounded by mathematical constants in the universe such as pi or the speed of light or even the force of gravitation. 
numbers literally describe the world. Now I could easily get my brain train hijacked by simulation theory tangents right now, but I'm going to resist that as difficult as it may be. Pythagoras eventually opened his own mystery school in Italy in 518 BC. His disciples were called the Mathematicoi. To join his mystery school, you had to complete three years worth of study, followed by five years worth of complete silence, followed by five more years of training. Only after all of that were Pythagoras' disciples ready to learn the mathematical mysteries of the universe. He turned the Babylonian numerical systems into a sacred science. This evolves into numerology and Kabbalistic teachings later down the line. All of the mystery schools of the world, including Pythagoras', shared one belief, that we are all, in fact, one with God. In 508 BC, however, the Pythagorean mystery schools were all burned to the ground and his followers killed. After the fall of his schools, Pythagoras left for the country and later died. Throughout Greek history, philosophers would expand on his teachings, eventually leading to Aristotle, who transmuted the teaching of the ancient mysteries into science. Then came Christianity, which cast a 1,000-year-long shadow over science and the occult. During the first 15 centuries of Judeo-Christian rule, magic was moved to the sidelines, relegated to darkness and mystery. The only path to the divine was through priests and pockets of the church. The majority of power in the world resided at the heart of a well-structured pyramid scheme. The church built strong relationships with monarchs around the globe, spreading and further cementing the idea that the sole path to divine knowledge is through the church. In the Middle Ages, magic was seen as a rebellious, almost anti-Christian act. It was the ultimate punk rock move to be a magician. The church singled out and persecuted the cultists for spreading the belief that the individual could have access to God. After all the years the church had held sway in the 14th century, the occult would rise again. Ironically, the inciting event for the resurgence of the occult would be the church's own holy war, the Crusade. Monasteries to the east on the border of the Muslim world had kept safe ancient Greek and occult texts, studying them as curiosities. Then boom, as the crusaders brought back all these tidbits of knowledge they had learned ransacking and pillaging the trickling back of ancient knowledge sparked the renaissance people began to look at old knowledge through updated lenses around this time a man made Parkelius who was trained in both medicine and alchemy traveled the world speaking to barbers, medicine men, witches and scholars alike eventually gathering various snippets of knowledge and throwing them together into what would grow to be modern day medicine the Renaissance brought about a brand new spirit of learning to the world. Along with a boost in thinking, medicine, and science came a breath into the lungs of magic. A man named Ficino found 12 books written by an Egyptian magician named Hermes Trigmagistus. He put all these books together. Alas, the Hermeticum and Hermetic magic is born. The Hermeticum is full of early Christian day Gnostic teachings. Hermes Trigmasistus is a combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Toth. So some, including myself, would argue they were both one and the same. Most scholars, however, believe Hermes Trigmasistus never existed and the Hermeticum is just a collection of stories of how one can cultivate one's consciousness and become as a god. The collection is a set of dialogues between Hermes and various other gods and deities, giving away secrets to the universe. Among these was the Emerald Tablet of Toth. The Hermeticum and the Emerald Tablet are the first places the term, as above, so below, is written. Which is a phrase that has been repeated throughout Western magical ideology and essentially every form of it. It's even a term that gets used in science quite a bit. So people who would dispel any sort of magical thinking whatsoever are eventually going to use or run across the term as above, so below. The Hermeticum 
dazzled Renaissance scholars, and the spark reignited the fires of occultism. However, the idea that human beings had a direct link to God certainly undermined not only the church, but the very backbone of society. This was exactly what the world needed, and because of this, we saw the first groups of people trying to combine magic, religion, and science back into one cohesive tree, for the sake of this metaphor. Enter one of our favorite scumbag magicians, John D. We've definitely talked about John D. on the podcast before. He was Queen, la, 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 Queen Elizabeth of the First, court astrologer, right? Because, as we know, millionaires don't use astrology, but billionaires do, and royalty definitely follow the fucking path of the stars. But I digress. He was essentially like the first spy. He got the code name 007, which is where Ian Fleming got his code name for James Bond in the books. We talked about that a little bit. He was a magician, uh, mathematician, astrologer, all this shit, alchemist. But at the time of John D. sort of having sway over the entirety of the Kingdom of Britain, there wasn't really much of a distinction between science and magic. And because of this, John Dee and Queen Liz legitimized alchemy and opened the door for modern chemistry. See, alchemists only had two goals, to heal illness and to turn base metals into gold. Though some would argue that the whole turning lead to gold thing is just once again a metaphor for the, uh, the cultivation of oneself and transmuting your inner self into gold. Success in both of these endeavors was believed to be granted to those who found the Philosopher's Stone. And of course, this part of the story always makes me want to rewatch the Elric Brothers fuck shit up or jump into some Harry Potter, even though I'm from America and we called that bitch the Sorcerer's Stone. But eventually I found out and it's all in my head can it's the fucking Philosopher's Stone. It's Nicholas fucking Famel in the goddamn movie, after all, and he's one of the world's most famous alchemists in the entire world. Why the fuck would he have a Sorcerer's Stone? Granted, all these things are sort of interchangeable, but still, Nicholas Flamel was a legitimate motherfucking person thought to have the actual Philosopher's Stone of legend. And because Americans are uncultured, you're just going to change it so it makes more fucking sense? Whatever. I don't give a fuck. J.K. Rowling's a cunt anyway, but I love Harry Potter. I digress. I hit a tangent. I knew what happened eventually. Anyway. Alchemy had existed since early Egypt. But in the hands of D and Renaissance scientists, it would grow to reach new heights. Everything we do in modern science today was 100% developed by alchemists. They invented the scientific method. They were the first to discover the way blood moves through the body. Germ theory, distillation of alcohol. They discovered phosphorus and zinc. But despite his alchemical prowess, D's real passion was divination, which is where Ed Kelly came in handy, the guy who cut his ear off and would get shit-faced and stare into John Dee's crystal ball and channel the Enochian angels who instructed them to bring about the apocalypse by having the fucking royal family take over the entirety of the world. Some would argue they have done that. Once again, I digress. We're getting real close to, to tangent territory up in this bitch. After Dee's death, from the 14th century to the 16th century, over 40,000 people would be executed for practicing magic. The church saw this as evil and being in league with the devil. Because of this, occult teachings would become embedded in the teachings of secret societies, such as the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, eventually evolving into the OTO, the AA, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which we'll talk about too once we get to Crowley. All that shit. Secret societies and the 17th century wave of enlightenment, as well as occult knowledge, would help with the founding of American democracy, which is strange to think about considering all of the fucking crazy Christian Q cult bullshit from the past few years. Years after the foundation of America and the occult knowledge being forced back underground, two sisters in New York City would catapult the occult and supernatural into the minds of the masses. That's right, we've made it all the way from ancient Egypt to the fucking Fox sisters. On March 31st, 1848, these crazy bitches claimed to make contact with the other side. Thus, 
lighting of the fuse that would explode into the spiritualist movement, causing all the hoity-toity rich fucks to gather around for seances and contact mediums to come to their homes and help them speak to loved ones who were lost. Eventually, I think one of the Fox sisters came out and said most of what she did was a hoax, but I like to live in the world where they were actually successful mediums and that didn't happen because who doesn't like to write their own version of reality? One thing these bitches did do, though, and I'm not calling them bitches in like a derogatory woman-hating sense. I just think it's funny to refer to these spiritualist ladies in a derogatory... I don't know why. I don't have a justification for it, but I feel like it's right to refer to the Fox sister as bitches, whether they were faking it or not, and I don't think that they would mind. In fact, there's their spirits are coming to me right now. That's... That's them, and they're telling me it is 100% fine to refer to them as bitches. So, we've cleared that up. But one, one of the things they did do by sparking the spiritualist movement was eventually get on the radar of one Madame Helena Blavatsky, who is a big old Russian lady. I won't call her a bitch, because her ghost will come here and fuck me up. But this big old Russian lady who abandoned her husband, basically, right after they got married to go study different fucking viewpoints of the world found out about this and started running her own seances and apparently she was incredibly successful until she got found out having people drop letters through fucking cracking her floor into her lap and making it appear they materialized and then reading back information that was supposedly given to her by someone's loved ones but beside that and her faking all of that she's supposedly one of the most successful practical magicians of all time right so, Helena Blavatsky hears about the Fox sisters, gets interested in spiritualism, starts contacting spirits. We're going to do a, an in-depth episode on Helena Blavatsky that's going to get into a lot more... Like, we're not even scratching the surface as we talk about her right now. But, eventually, Helena Blavatsky founded Theosophy, right? Which is... It's, it's a combination of the Greek word theos, which means God, and also, I think, the Latin word sophia, which um, means wisdom, right? So theosophy is essentially God wisdom. It's basically a, another way to say gnosis, I guess, really. She's just fucking multilingual conjunctions and shit. But I digress yet again. Uh, so Helena Blavatsky forms theosophy, and she throws in a little bit of uh, a little bit of inner earth civilizations to the mix, right? She throws in a little bit of uh, a little bit of the inner earth Aryans who are really tall aliens trying to uh, come back up and save us after the fall of Atlantis. But all of this, of course, is just building upon previous versions of knowledge and stories throughout uh, throughout history. And all the crazy shit she talks about actually lines up with things other other uh, cultures have said about the actual history of of the world we live in. Um, they just use different words for different shit. This gets back to the Tower of Babel language thing that we seem to keep circling back to. I didn't ex ex like expect for this to go into a podcast where I talk about a bunch of occult shit and like magic and witchcraft and woo-woo-y shit like that. Like, I knew I'd touch on the topic, but it appears that's just the fucking train we're riding right now, because I think this is the third or fourth episode in a row I've talked about this. But people are interested in it, and it's nice to, to be able to talk about this, because I don't necessarily have anyone I can uh, I can talk to in the real world about this shit um, as in-depth as I would like to. So that's nice. I get to use this show to sort of not necessarily spread knowledge and information, but spread the way that I view and interpret knowledge and information. But I'm fucking hitting another tangent bump, so let's let's try to regain focus. We're talking about Theosophy and Helena Blavatsky. And just as she was influenced by the Fox sisters, her writings had a great influence on a few a few famous occultists. The probably the most famous of them being Adolf Hitler. Uh he sort of read into that whole Aryan race and the inner earth thing a little too much, took it a little a little too literal, so to speak, and 
then the Holocaust happened, so I'm sure she wouldn't be too proud of that. But another person that she influenced would be Crowley, who eventually would grow to join the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn before he was excommunicated by them. He, like his predecessor, John Dee, was a spy. Um, he was a spy during World War II. He would send fake astrological readings to Germany coded in the witch language. Witch language is fucking, like, it's not... I don't think these hermetic fucking sex magicians or anything would would really refer to it as witch language, but the language of the birds, so to speak. Like, he knew that when the Germans took over the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn, that they would interpret astrological readings the way the Golden Dawn taught its initiates to do that. So he would send fake, coded, astrological shit to Hitler so that he would, like, actually attack on a day that the stars said he shouldn't necessarily it's important also since we're the, the main point of this is talking about how like religion science and magic all came from the same place Crowley's probably one of the most well known occultists ever right regardless of like how he's viewed because he's written some pretty wicked vile shit some would say that that was coded some would say he like is a pretty horrible fucking human being. We'll talk about that in the in the Crowley episode, which I keep teasing, and I apologize. Fucking 25 episodes later, no Crowley episode. But it's important to realize that the reason Crowley became an occultist and referred to himself as the Great Beast 666, the wickedest man alive, all this shit, is because... or why he gravitated to things that gained him those titles is because of his mother's evangelical... tyrannical reign of him as a child and um coupled with his complete and utter obsession with revelations of the bible so crowley's occult roots were always in christianity almost as a way to look at it he he looked at all of magic through the lens of christianity at least is safe to say and speaking of like things spawning off and other things. Crowley, uh, he was a teacher to Jack Parsons, who was one of the higher-ups in NASA when it was first getting formed. He was a rocket scientist, super accomplished dude. He even helped us get he even helped get us to the moon, right? Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, uh, a shitty science fiction writer and cult leader, but that's later on, went out into the desert and tried to do the Babylon working. Uh, which was a ritual Crowley had taught through his uh, OTO after the religion Thelema had been founded, right? So these two Thelemites, uh, Jack Parsons, super famous astrophysicist, and they're not astrophysicist, rocket scientist. I was getting a little too comic booky in my headcanon there for what actually happened. But Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard go into the desert and do the Babylon working. Babylon is in the whore of Babylon from from Revelations that just sort of reflects reflects Crowley's uh, obsession with Revelations. And when they, just this further thread, the connection is through, when they did that Babylon working, Crowley got pissed because they didn't ask his permission and he was certain they wouldn't close the portal properly. And that day is when all of the UFO sightings in that era started happening. It, like, predated Roswell by a couple days and shit. Which is where the, the, uh, in the, the conversation of aliens, a lot of people think they're extra-dimensional or they think aliens are one and the same. Either that aliens are, aliens and demons are one and the same. Either that demons are pretending to be aliens or that we gave aliens the name demons but either way, in either scenario, they're extra-dimensional beings, which is a fun way to look at things, but that's just a thread there. Also, out of... So, out of Crowley's Thelema, which was predominantly a Christian-based occultist philosophy and practice, came Wicca, ultimately, if you trace it back, and I hope I'm not pissing anyone off, but I've got receipts on that. And... Um... Scientology, right? Because L. Ron Hubbard 
started Scientology. And basically what what L. Ron Hubbard did was he took elements of Thelema and elements of Mormonism and merged them together and profited on it a great deal. So like whatever you think about Scientology it's all just like a cult that literally spun down from someone who used to hang out with Crowley. And it's also fun little tidbit after they did the Babylon working and shit uh, L. Ron Hubbard stole Jack Parsons' wife and all his money and used his money to start Scientology. So that's just a little a little fact there. And then so we've, we've mentioned Wicca, right? We're getting close to modern day, um, at least as far as the esoteric sort of things go. And like, basically the last way that I'll really get into how magic has influenced science, other than like, in physics, once you get so far into the conversation, you basically touch on the supernatural or science anyway, the multiverse theory, all that shit could also be representative as, as above, so below, string theory, 11 dimensions and shit. But uh, the point I'm trying to make, because I'm getting carried away, is that the, the reason all of these topics keep popping up inside each other is because they came from the same seed, right? Three trees, one seed, one seed, three trees. You know, as above, so below. But that brings us to this little thought. And then I'll finish out the sort of timeline. I've got one more person really to talk about. So, in alchemy, right, which is, I guess, an early form of magic and science together, right? We talked about it early. In alchemy, there's a term called solvet coagula. It's still used today by both magicians and scientists, and what that means is separate and combine, right? The whole purpose of alchemy is to break things down to their base components and then reassemble them to understand how they work, how to work with them, right? And if you think about life as a big alchemical experiment, and you can do this with your life and see what I'm talking about, but for the sake of this conversation, think about the life of this planet or the timeline of this planet, right? Solve it, coagulate. You take something that's whole, you break it down to its basest form, and then you build it back up into something whole again, right? From the beginning of time, or at least the beginning of this planet, when there was Pangaea, and it was just like one large landmass, right? That was pre-solve, right? Right now, we're in the middle of et, I guess, right? So we've already, the landmass parted, right? Then the, the races split, and then the country split, and then the county split, and the city split, and then the sides of town split, and all this division happened throughout humanity, right? That's part of the solve. That's the, the breaking down, right? And sort of seeing how everything works. And while that sounds negative, it's just part of understanding as a whole, right? And where we're at now may seem like we're still in the middle of that because things are being divided more and more and more and more and more and more. But that's just because when something is about to die, that's when it screams the loudest. When it realizes that it's going to die, that is when it fights the hardest until it inevitably gives up, right? So all of the racist, sexist hierarchy of, of the world uh, knows that it's on its last leg, right? So it's fucking howling at the moon, kicking its teeth, clawing at us, trying to bite us, trying to get us down because it knows that it's done. And in that frenzied state, it looks pretty fucking scary, right? Even though we've beaten this motherfucking thing down this far, it looks it looks pretty scary. But it's almost done. And I think that once once we get through the worst of it, We'll, we'll, we'll start to enter the coagula phase of life, right? The coming back together as one cohesive unit. I really think we're on the crux of that happening right now. I think that. And it may not seem like it, but if you just sort of sit and ponder on the idea, and maybe the, the meditation for the day should be on the term solve at coagula. 
if you're down to try that. But I'll get back on track, because I, I fucking was going to put this at the end of the podcast. I ended up throwing it up, like, right before the last person at the timeline we were talking about. But it just felt like the time to say it in the universe. So after Crowley, of course, we discussed how uh, Wicca came from that. And we'll talk about that in a very soon episode. But another thing that sprang from Thelema and... Um, Crowley's OTO and sort of stemmed down from the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was is is when this kid started learning magic and reading about the occult who was a fucking carny he was just a scumbag carnival worker and uh, he was a showman for sure he was into theatrics and he took all of the occult knowledge and sort of threw it into a little religion and started Levain Satanism and of course we're talking about Anton Zandor LeVay, the high priest of the Church of Satan. He is no longer with us. He was played brilliantly by the same actor who played Papa Joe Iacovetta in the Boondock Saints film in the American Horror Story series in the Apocalypse season, which was kind of cool. But Also, apparently, among conspiracy theorists, and especially Trumper conspiracy theorists, um, his daughter, Zena LeVay, who is now, I think, named Zena Shrek, and married to the current high priest of the Church of Satan, is actually, um, she has a clone that was injected into Hollywood and into to Christian households, and that clone is Taylor Swift. They believe that Taylor Swift is the clone of the daughter of the high priest of the Church of Satan, the founder, and Anton LeVay. And now Anton LeVay, um... He writes about magic as a, a psychodrama, right? He writes about ritual as something that you do and symbols as something you use to communicate with your subconscious, which ultimately helps you manifest what you want in the real world, although they don't necessarily put a mystical element to it because it's technically like an atheistic religion and uh, more on the logical side, but there are esoteric magic elements to it. Um... But that's that's sort of where we, we end, right? Because at the end of the satanic panic shit, it's not like that just went away. Like, uh, people were still into witchcraft and shit like that. But in the last couple of years, honestly, there has been a resurgence in esoteric, like, studies, occultism, witchcraft, Wicca, fucking neo-paganism. There are so many Odinists running around and, like, not Estaru racist Odinists, like, open-minded loving, accepting people who are Odinists. There's so many fucking people who are, like, just worshipping trees, the green man, and there are just... Like, the New Age movement, all that shit, man. It all comes from the same place as fucking astronomy, chemistry, physics, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Zoroastrianism... Fucking, it all comes from the same place, man. One seed grew three trees. And that's really, really, I guess, the the end of the topic of discussion, I guess. I didn't really have a plan so far out as a, a little timeline, but I think we've reached the end of the episode today, guys. And I apologize once again for taking so long to put this episode out and for getting in a little, a little slump and uh, basically being a little bitch, but I promise... More episodes are coming soon, and they're going to keep coming in a, in a rapid succession. After that, we got big things on the horizon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Hopes, for the dope-ass music and for all you've done to support the show. Thank you, Michael, for calling in with a question. I appreciate that. I hope you continue to do so. I'd like to have you on the show one day we can discuss uh, religion and theology and stuff like that of course in a respectful manner but everyone um you know remember everyone love everyone and in the words of the immortal bill hicks it's just a ride thanks guys have a good night <laughs>